this morning I'm going to be talking about the day of the Lord, and I'm going to warn you a little bit ahead of time that uh, our content's a little heavy today. Uh, I thought about this. Uh, the one thing that a preacher worries about is that I'm going to be saying something and, and just leave you behind somewhere. So I've tried to make this simple, uh, but it is going to be scripture heavy. So I'm going to encourage you to hang on. If you're here for the first time today, not every one of our sermons is on the second coming of Jesus Christ in the day of the Lord. I don't preach about this all the time, uh, but I am going to preach on it for at least the next two Sundays because we're in a, a, a series of messages I call uh, the times and the seasons, passages uh, where God draws our attention to the times and seasons. Uh, and this is one of them. Let's stand together. We'll look in the Word of God, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. May God bless the reading of His Word today is my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> Our key verse from, uh, for this entire passage is taken from the ancient book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3 and verse 1, very famous passage. Uh, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Uh, we've defined a season as a collection of times, uh, incidents, uh, situations that develop. Uh, some of you are in a child-raising season. Uh, others of us are in a parent care season. Both are very real seasons of life. You may be in a troubled season or difficult season. You may be in a blessed season. Uh, you may be in a season of great victory where everything seems to be going your way. And you may be in a time of defeat where nothing seems to be going your way. To everything, Solomon said, there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. I read about a college football coach who took over a struggling program and he promptly lost his first four games and he lost them badly. Everybody, he said, was on him, the students, the alumni, the parents, the press. Uh, in a speech some years later, he remarked that he went home after a particular brutal uh, interview and his wife and his dog were there. And he said, well, uh, I've still got two friends. I can count on every man needs at least two friends. And he said he went home the next day and his wife had bought him another dog. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. I'm telling you. <laughs> You may be in a series of a, of a very lonely defeat. They say uh, everybody loves a winner, uh, and there's something about going through defeat that makes us seem very isolated and alone. Solomon gives us a long list of things that were under the sun. We're not going to look at them today again as we have in other passages or other, other uh, messages, but uh, uh, you can look at them as, as you uh, have time when you get home. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, some of the things there are things that he mentioned that we wish he hadn't have mentioned. Uh, we'd been a lot more comfortable with it, but they are very real times. There's, there's a lot of times and a lot of seasons. Um, you and I will go through some seasons in life that we'd just as soon skip over. Some of them, when they pass, we'll say, oh, I'm so glad that's over. Uh, some seasons would say, and I wish I could have that back. To everything, there's a season. 
good or bad. A time for every purpose under heaven. And one of the most famous times and seasons in the Bible is here in our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, where Paul talks about the time and the seasons of the day of the Lord. Jesus used that exact same terminology in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 was Jesus' last few moments on this earth before he ascended up into heaven. And I don't know whether it was a slow rise or just like that. I don't know. The Bible says he ascended up into heaven and he got in the clouds. They couldn't see him anymore. Uh, and and what, a, what a sight that was. But just before that happened, the apostles asked him, Will thou this time restore the kingdom unto Israel? That is, is it time uh, for all of these things to come to pass? And Jesus responded, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So right there, when Jesus was talking about uh, the day of the Lord, the time of His return to the earth, He established very clearly that this was a time and a season, and we weren't going to know everything about it. Paul very clearly connected that terminology then to the day of the Lord. And in a general way, this can be used to describe uh, what we as God's people tend to refer to as the second coming of Christ. I cannot cover all that the Bible says about the second coming of Christ in a couple of sermons. Uh, I couldn't cover it all in a couple of years, to be honest with you. Uh, the Bible is full of references to the second coming of Christ and all of those things that relate to the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. Uh, and Jesus tells us right up front that there are things about these times and seasons, the time and the season of the day of the Lord, that we can't know because the Father has kept it to Himself. In 1948, Israel was reestablished as a nation. And the United States of America was the first nation to recognize Israel as a sovereign nation uh, that happened at midnight their time, 6 p.m. at our time, President Harry Truman issued the statement, the United States recognizes Israel. Uh, the Arab nations around Israel, of course, declared war the next day. America has not been real popular in a lot of circles since then. But with that... There was an explosion in that generation of interest in the whole subject of the second coming of Christ. And those people who were born about that time, and yes, that is indeed the boomers, there were a lot of those people who would dedicate most of their lives to the study of what the Bible has to say about the day of the Lord, the second coming, and the time and the seasons of it. After a lifetime of study, uh, those people, if they're honest and true to Scripture, would tell you there's still a whole lot about it they don't understand. And I'm going to be straightforward with you. I have not spent a lifetime studying this. Uh, I've studied a lot more things. And, uh, but I have studied it quite a bit. And there's still more of it that I don't know and that I'm not sure about uh, than of the things that I am sure about. 
And most of what I am sure about, I can anchor here in Paul's teaching to this young church at Thessalonica uh, in both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, and we'll see some of those passages this morning and some other supporting scriptures that go along with it. But when we think about the times and the seasons, let's notice that Jesus was even more specific about that in Matthew chapter 25, because he said, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now he, he gave that statement at the end of his parable of the wise and foolish virgins. And you'll remember he told a story about a wedding feast and some of the uh, virgins were wise and they brought extra oil, some didn't, and they ran out. And Jesus applied that parable with this. He says, you need to watch because you don't even know the day or the hour. You see, the people knew the day. Uh, the guests at the wedding knew the day. Some of you are like me. You might have a couple of mark the day uh, announcements on your, uh, on your refrigerator right now. They knew the day. But they didn't know the hour, and some of them weren't ready. And Jesus tells them, you don't know the day, nor the hour. Now Paul will build on that with a couple of expressions here in this passage. He said in verse 2, You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the light. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. So he describes the day of the Lord coming uh, under these two images. Number one, he describes it like a thief who comes in the night. Uh, now you know as I do that no thief is going to be like the United States Postal Service or Federal Express and send you a, a, an email about what the day is going to be. No thief is going to say, I'm going to break in your house next Thursday. Not going to say that. They don't announce themselves. And so there is something about the return of Jesus Christ to this earth that is going to be like that in that he doesn't announce the specific day that he's coming. But he also compares it to labor pains coming upon a pregnant woman. And if you've ever gone through this, then uh, uh, you know what that's like. You know, you go to the doctor and the doctor kind of gives you a day, a due day. Uh, this is when it's going to happen. And every now and then, they hit it right on the dot, don't they? Occasionally. And, and uh, somebody goes in labor on their due date. I remember uh, all those many years ago, uh, when Nancy and I were having our first, she was pregnant with our first child, uh, Kristen. Uh, we didn't know she was going to be a daughter, but she was. Uh, and she was due sometime around the 1st of January, if I correct, remember correctly. And uh, we desperately wanted her to be born on December 31st. Why? Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted a tax break. Sure. Desperately wanted. I was thrilled when she started feeling a few twinges. Man, we ended up loading her up in the car. I drove her over every railroad track within five miles of us. <laughs> didn't help a bit. It didn't help. The baby did not get here by midnight on December 31st. Didn't happen. Uh, she was actually born on January the 19th. Happy birthday, baby girl. Uh, baby girl. Uh, now let me get my voice back. I, <laughs> it's a swallow time or two. Um, you see, the, something about the coming of Christ would be like labor pains. You know, you know that a baby's coming. You know. You know about when. 
but you don't know exactly when. And then there comes that time when it started, and you know it's coming quickly, but even then, you don't know exactly. The labor pains begin, and interestingly, uh, the Bible in Romans chapter 8 speaks of the coming of Christ and how the creation is going to be groaning and travailing like a woman uh, in childbirth so that those labor pains come faster and faster and grow in intensity. And you know a baby's coming, but you don't know exactly when. The day of the Lord is like that. Second coming of Christ is like that. It's like a thief. Doesn't announce the day. Doesn't say, I'm coming on Thursday. Mm -mm. It's kind of like then uh, a woman who is expecting, as my mom would say, she knows the baby's coming, but she doesn't know exactly when. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is coming. We don't know exactly when. And no amount of Bible study is going to let you know exactly when Jesus comes. The Father has kept it to himself. So in a broad sense, this is what Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica about. Uh, they know that Jesus is coming, but they don't know when. And he begins then to describe some things that they need to do and how they need to live in anticipation of that event. You know that Jesus is coming. You don't know when. And so there's some ways that affects our life and living and service. And we're going to see some of those, uh, not only this morning, but, but next week as we look at, at, first of all, the day, and that's today's message, the day of the Lord itself. Uh, then the duty uh, that's the next thing he's going to cover with them. What, what do they need to do? How do they need to be living in the light of this truth, this revelation? And then the destiny. Uh, how that relates to the destiny of humanity at large, to them, to us, to the world. I'm not going to promise you this doesn't turn into three sermons. It might, but... Uh, Right now, I'm just planning on two. We'll see. It depends on how fast I can get going. So here it is. Um, <clears throat> I want you to notice that our text today begins with the word but, and that uh, is going to throw us back to some other things because when you have a passage of Scripture that begins like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 1 does uh, with a word like this, it is uh, making a conclusion or referring back to the things that came before. And in that case, it's in chapter 4 and verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, uh, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. First of all, I want to talk to you about the word sleep in this text. 
there are those who believe in a doctrine that's known as soul sleeping. That is, when we die, we all go down the grave and we just sleep there until Jesus comes. Uh, they'll talk about what Jesus said of Lazarus in John chapter 11 when Lazarus was sick. And then ultimately he would say to his disciples, Lazarus is asleep. And the disciples said, well, Lord, if he's asleep, he's doing good. He'll get better. That's what he needs, some rest. I'm glad he's able to get some rest. But then Jesus told them plainly, no, Lazarus is dead. What they did is they used the word sleep as a euphemism. And that is a nice way of saying something that's hard to say. He used it then as a euphemism. Somebody is asleep, uh, but what they mean is that they're dead. And later on in the text, Paul makes that very clear that he's talking about the dead in Christ in verse 16. That's what he's talking about, the dead who are in Christ. Later, he would write to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he would say, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Let me tell you something. When a person dies, when I die, when you die, when your loved ones have died, their spirit goes straight, if they're a believer, to be with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. And they're with the Lord. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Absolutely no room in that biblical revelation then for the idea of soul sleeping. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about what happens when we die. And he makes it clear then that Jesus will fulfill the promise that he made to us in John chapter 14. And you can read that along. In my Father's house, Jesus said, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. I want to tell you this morning, one day Jesus Christ, your Savior and mine, is going to keep that promise. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I will come back. And when I do, I'm going to come back to receive you unto myself. Now I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians 4 again, and this time I want you to notice the pronouns, and I'll try to emphasize them as I read them, but we do have them highlighted in yellow. But I do not want you, he's talking to this audience there, the church at Thessalonica, and by extension all of us, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others have not hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, notice the change, that we, we who are alive and remained under the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead and Christ will rise first. And then we, does it again, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Paul made it very clear he was expecting to go out with a shout. Okay, he was, now this is what we call the rapture of the saints. Okay? And Paul the Apostle was writing, and he was clearly anticipating that he would be among those who were alive when Jesus comes, so that he would be one of those who would hear that trumpet sound and the voice, and we'd be caught up together with them in the air. Well, historically, we know that that didn't happen. Okay? We know that Paul died. He was beheaded in Rome. And Jesus had not come and returned. 
when Paul died. But though it, wasn't, it did not historically play that out that way, spiritually, what Paul said was exactly right. Because you see, every believer has that hope within us. We always have. And we still do today that Jesus Christ is going to come and we will be one of those who are alive when it happens. I've been paying on a life insurance policy now for about 15 years. And I hope I never get to cash it. And neither does my wife. I hope I've got a burial policy. I hope I never have to use it. I hope Nancy never has to use it, maybe more specifically. Why? I don't mind telling you, I don't want to die. I'd rather go out without dying. That'd have been a great place for you to say amen. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I believe amens ought to be spontaneous, but I'm not above asking for them if y'all don't keep up. <laughs> Come on. Help. I want to go out. I don't want to die. I'd rather go to heaven, straight to heaven, just go out. Be changed in a moment, a twinkle of an eye. Before I could even bat an eye, I'd done changed and in the clouds with Jesus. What a day! Don't you want that? Sure you do. I'm looking forward to it. So was Paul. So when he continues on then, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, again, notice the pronouns, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in, in the night, for when they say, now do you see he's talking about another group of people. There's the we who are alive and remain. He talks about your loved ones, those who have died in the Lord. Now he talks about you. I don't need to write to you about this because you already know this. But now he's going to talk about another group, the they. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So while the day of the Lord is like a thief and the day of the Lord has something to do with being like a pregnant woman, it's not going to come upon us as the believers in Christ in that exact same way. Now it is going to be a completely foreign concept to some people in this world. There's going to be a lot of people around who have denied Jesus Christ, who have denied God, denied the Word of God, denied the Bible. And one day, they're going to be amazed that Jesus Christ has kept His promise. I'm not going to be amazed or shocked that Jesus Christ has kept His promise. Are you? No. No, you're not. But some will. So Paul is addressing these two groups of people, his audience of believers at Thessalonica and by extension believers everywhere and at all times. He includes himself in that audience when he says then, we are not in the darkness. We know he is coming to keep his promises to us. We know that this world, the universe, God's plan for everything includes and involves the return of Jesus Christ. It's coming. 
Now, the Bible also tells us that this time and season of the day of the Lord includes a seven-year period. That is, it's not just a day when we talk about the day of the Lord. And I know I've thrown a lot of Scripture at you this morning, but please look carefully at Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah 30 and 6 says, Ask you now and see whether a man doth tra tra travail with child. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, do men get pregnant and carry babies and go into childbirth? No. No. So, Jeremiah says, wherefore do I see, or what the Lord says, wherefore do I see every man with his hands uh, on his loins, that is, on his belly, as a woman in travail? And all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. The time of Jacob's trouble is a time that is so intense that everybody is going to feel those labor pains. Not of a baby, but everybody. All the people of all the planet are going to feel those labor pains leading up to the day of the Lord. I don't mind telling you this morning, folk, I, I believe we've been feeling those labor pains for a long time. I believe the world is feeling them. People who don't even know what they are are still feeling them. But again, in this passage, you notice he's taking that day. That day is great. The time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time, a period, a season of trouble when there is none like it. Jesus would describe this in Matthew 24 and 21 and call it the name that we're most familiar with, the great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world this time nor ever shall be. I'm out of time, but I'm not out of sermon. Raise your hand. How many of you give me five more minutes? 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. <laughs> we're good. I'll have to go quick. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 then. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Um, probably one of the biggest questions about the day of the Lord is the timing of it. Because we know there's this seven-year period that's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus called it a time of great tribulation. He described it by saying it is a time of terrible things that are going to happen on this planet. Natural disaster, sickness, death, and pestilence on an unprecedented scale. It is going to be something, seven-year period. Uh, and during that period, God's wrath is going to be poured out. Not over all of it. It's going to start out peaceably. And then toward the end, it's going to get unspeakably bad. Seven-year period, day of the Lord, tribulation, second coming. And there in the middle of it all is this revelation of the rapture of the saints. There are some who believe uh, that the rapture is going to occur somewhere along in the middle of the tribulation period. Some who believe that it's going to be at the end 
Probably the most popular position is that the rapture of the saint is going to occur before the tribulation starts. That's called the pre-trib view. And I'm not either one of those. I want to be very clear with you today that I believe that the rapture of the saints, the day, that the time that we're going to go out is going to occur very early on during the tribulation period. And I base that on what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, I, that's why I always very carefully say I believe the rapture is at the beginning of the tribulation. I don't say it's previous to it. I say it's at the beginning of it. Not in the middle, not at the end, at the beginning. There's a reason for that. And that's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, there's the rapture. We, I, I, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin, that's the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There's a lot of things about that passage that I'd love to be able to spend a lot of time with you this morning, but we don't have that kind of time. So let me just tell you, though, that this passage tells us very clearly uh, that the day of Christ, that includes the gathering together with him, uh, will not occur until after the man of sin is revealed. And that's why I say that the rapture is going to come at the beginning, very early on. How early on? I can't tell you. But at the beginning of the tribulation period. Remember, Paul told us, you're not in the dark. Okay? The day of the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. There are many I cannot believe and, and uh, there are some, and some maybe even of you who believe that Jesus is coming at the end of the tribulation. And I can't believe that. And the reason I can't believe that is because there's no distinction made between uh, the blessed hope, uh, which the coming of Christ is called the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but there's not a passage that says that the blessed hope is confined only to those who are dead. And let me explain that to you this morning in, in this simple way. Uh, if Jesus is coming at the end of the tribulation, the best thing that any of us could do is to die before it starts. Okay? That's the truth. Imagine that, uh, you know, here we are, okay, Jesus is going to come at the end of the tribulation, if that's what the Bible teaches. That's seven years away. Suppose you go to the doctor tomorrow and you get a diagnosis that you've got a terminal illness and you've only got two years to live. You don't have a blessed hope in anticipation of the return of Christ anymore because you're only going to live two years and the rapture is seven years at least away if it all started tomorrow. And the only people who have the blessed hope then for sure are the ones who've already died. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Thus, that's not why, that's why I can't believe that the tribulation or the rapture is at the end of the tribulation. I had a lot more to talk to you about this morning, but we'll save that for another time. I do, however, and if you'd jump ahead to those last two slides for me, uh, Brother Goodman, I appreciate it. Um, few things to wrap up. 
The day of the Lord speaks of the times and seasons of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's found all over the scripture, and we can't possibly cover them all. But the second coming, the promise of the return of Jesus Christ, includes the promise of our gathering together unto him, what we call the rapture. Okay? As believers, we can look for the second coming of Christ literally until our last breath. I believe that. In other words, I can't say, well, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not going to live another seven years, so I, I, I don't have any hope. <laughs> uh, no. The Bible says that we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if it does happen to be that there is, as the wise man said so long ago, that I not only have a time to be born, but a time to die. I'm going to tell you this morning that if I've still got my mind, and that's not a guarantee, but if I do, at that moment when I'm drawing my last breath, I want to pray, even so, come Lord Jesus. Because right up into that time that I step out of this body and go on to be with the Lord, I will be anticipating the return of Jesus Christ literally to my last breath. I'll be hoping for the rapture. And I hope you are too. But that is not your hope this morning if you don't know Jesus Christ. Jesus gave us a very solemn warning in the book of Matthew long ago when he said there'd be two women grinding at the meal and one of them would be taken and the other one left. Two men be working in the field. One taken, another one left. And that is the difference between being a believer and an unbeliever. One taken. Another one left behind. If you're not saved here in this church building this morning, I cannot possibly overstress how important it is for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Today. Right now. Taken or left behind. Let's stand together, please.